You are listening to the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast with Monica Louie, episode number 82. Welcome to the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast, where we help online entrepreneurs grow their influence, amplify their impact, and scale their businesses all the way to seven figures. And now, here's your host, Monica Louie. Hey, hey, thank you so much for joining me for the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast. I'm Monica Louie, and welcome to episode 82. I am so excited to bring you this fantastic interview. My guest today is a serial entrepreneur and has built several different kinds of businesses over the years, both online and off. And he's sharing his systems, his processes, and his best tips for taking your business to the next level in this week's episode of the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast. But before we dive into the interview, if you're new to the podcast and don't know me yet, I want to welcome you. I'm Monica Louie. I'm a Facebook and Instagram ad strategist, and I run a successful ads agency where my team and I manage ads for six, seven, and eight-figure online businesses. I'm also the creator of Flourish with Facebook ads, which is my online training program that teaches my step-by-step system for creating campaigns that convert. My team and I have managed more than $2.5 million in ad spend and served more than 1,000 students and clients. And we are in the trenches every single day, keeping a pulse on what's working now in the world of Facebook and Instagram ads. While I absolutely love teaching about Facebook and Instagram ads, the goal of this podcast is to discuss what it really takes to build a seven-figure online business. And my guest today has done that multiple times. My guest on the show today is the always entertaining and super smart Chris Ducker. Chris is a serial entrepreneur and author of the best-selling books, Virtual Freedom, and more recently, Rise of the Youpreneur. Based in Cambridge, England, he owns and operates several businesses that combined house over 350 full-time employees around the world. He's also a trusted international business mentor, keynote speaker, podcaster, blogger, as well as the founder of youpreneur.com, the world's fastest growing personal brand business education company. Chris hosts the annual Youpreneur Summit, which is held in London each November and is the self-proclaimed proudest Brit doing business online. In this episode, Chris and I talk about all of this and more, including how he's grown his businesses over the years, his best tips for hiring and figuring out what to outsource first, how he efficiently manages his schedule and priorities so that he's making progress on the most important areas of his business while making plenty of time for his wife and family, his views on legacy and impact, plus a whole lot more. This was a really great interview. Chris is such a fascinating guy, and I have much respect for what he's created over the years. It was so great chatting with him, and I know that you are going to love this conversation too. So let's get right to it. But before we dive in, I want to make sure you know that you can find all the links and resources that are mentioned in today's episode at monicalouie.com slash 82. That's M-O-N-I-C-A-L-O-U-I-E dot com slash the number 82. All right. Here's my interview with Chris Ducker from chrisducker.com. Hey, Chris, thank you so much for joining me on the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast. I am so thrilled to have this conversation with you today. I am equally as thrilled to be here, maybe more so than you. Oh, you're too kind. So you, you have been building businesses for 
I don't know how many years, but I'd love to, if you could first start off with telling people what you do, how you help people today, how you serve people, what you've got going on. And then I'd love to get back into your origin story of how you became the serial entrepreneur that you are. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I do. When people ask me what I do is I, I say I'm a serial entrepreneur that also teaches people how to be serial entrepreneurs. So basically I've, I've been building businesses for 16 years now. I've got three different businesses, which are still up and running. We've got almost 350 full-time employees around the world, a multi-seven figure group of companies. And although two of those businesses are big earners for me, I have very very little to do with the day-to-day running of those businesses because I've all but ultimately fired myself, replaced myself in those businesses day-to-day. And so the company that I spend the most time kind of focused in on nowadays is Upreneur and that suite of products and services surrounding Upreneur as an entity. So, you know, it started off as a membership then turned into kind of just an online magazine. And then it was coaching, live events, mastermind. I mean, you name it. We do it with the Upana brand over it. And that's really what I focus on day to day. I love it. So did you always see yourself becoming an entrepreneur? What what were you like as a little boy? Did, did you want to be the boss? What was your, how did you get into becoming an entrepreneur? Oh, no, no. Let me tell you something. When you have an <laughs> Irish Catholic mother... She is the boss (laughs) at all times. She is the boss. No, I mean, I, I think, you know, looking back and you don't realize at the time, right. Or it's very rare that you do, but looking back, clearly I had entrepreneurial tendencies. I didn't see it at the time. Like, you know, I was, I, I also was a BBLA basketball coach for peewees here in the UK in my twenties. And, you know, but even going all the way back from when I started playing ball, I'm like the most un-British British person you'll ever meet. Like I don't like football or as you guys call it, soccer. I don't like rugby. I don't like cricket. I don't like any of that stuff. I'm a hoops guy born and raised all the way, Boston Celtics till I die, right? So I think the earliest time that I can remember creating something to solve a problem for a collection of people was when I was about 15, 16 years old, when I started to study as an assistant basketball coach for my coach at the time at at the YMCA, which is where I learned how to play. And long story short, Everyone was like, oh, you know, who's this, who's this Magic Johnson guy? You know, I'm showing my age now. Good Lord. Who's this, <laughs> <laughs> who's this Magic Johnson guy? Who's this Larry Bird guy? Who's this Isaiah Thomas guy, right? So clearly I'm a mid to late 80s guy. And then later on, it was all about MJ and the balls and all the rest of it. But what was going on was, well, if you can't get that, in, and this is pr- way pre-internet days, right? So if you can't get that info, and I've got a friend who lives over in Boston, who can get the magazines and the newspaper clippings and the photographs and all the rest of it and send them to me, I can actually put together a fanzine. And that's what I did. That was my first true entrepreneurial pursuit was putting together a fanzine at the age of about 15, I think, where it was like, you know, a photocopied piece of paper with a staple in the middle where we had like, I don't know, eight sides or whatever. And, you know, it, it, it just was a collection of stories 
that was going on around the NBA. And obviously by the time it reached our shores and I typed them up and, you know, kind of copied and pasted all of the photos and everything, it was about, you know, two months too old, but nobody cared because you couldn't get anything like that in England. They weren't interested in the NBA in England. They're not even interested in it now. So they certainly <laughs> weren't interested in it back then. And so that was kind of like my first, you know, foray into the entrepreneurial world, I think. But I didn't realize it at the time, Monica. I was just doing something that I really enjoyed doing. Um, right. And I was, char- I was paying, you know, I was charging like 10p, 10 pence, which is like nothing you know? And it was just a matter of kind of just putting it together. And I would, I would give the final version to my mom who would take it to the office and then photocopy it and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it was, it was good fun. I enjoyed it. I love it. Well, you were, you, you found a need, a hole in the market, and yep. then you, you created your own solution. You yeah. <laughs> and, and really also, you know, going into my late teens, we have them here. We call them car boot sales. You guys call them garage sales except for the fact that here in the UK, garages or garages, as we call them in our horrible slang-based tones, they're not normal for the majority of people here. Whereas in the US, I think, I think a lot of people have you know, garages over there. We don't right. really have them here that much. So what they do is they get everybody onto like the local playing field, like the local sports field, on a Sunday morning and they call it a car boot sale and everyone just kind of turns up and they put like a wallpaper pasting table, you know, at the back of their car and they kind of load all their junk, all their crap from their house that they don't want. And they sell it to other people who clearly want their junk more than they do. And that was when I realized I could sell because it didn't matter what my dad pulled out of the back of the car and put on that table. It was gone by the time that Sunday morning was up. So you combination of kind of like that entrepreneurial mindset and being able to talk with people, gain rapport, gain trust, which are very important in the sales process, and then be able to sell things, game changer, you know, game changer for my career going into sales. Love it. So you just had this natural ability and obviously enjoyed it as well. Yep. Still do. So, well, I can tell (laughs) and you're, and you're, (laughs) you're great at what you do. And so when did you start your first business? How did that come about? Yeah, so I was I was based over in the Philippines. I went over there in in late 2000 on a on a contract with one of the international banks. And when that was up, I was kind of poached, headhunted, whatever you want to call it with another bank there for a one year contract. And by the time that contract was up, I'd already kind of gotten a little bit bored with the industry. And I was basically teaching and training the sales and marketing people over there. And long story short, I kind of went and took a little bit of a sabbatical in Thailand for a month or so and kind of just thought about what I wanted to do next. Uh, I just recently lost my mother and my father in the space of three years. My first marriage had broken down and dissolved. And so I was kind of at a, a time in my life where it was like, well, this kind of sucks. Like I need to do something here to ultimately change the tide a little bit. And I just felt that the time was right to try and chase down something for myself. And that's where I set up my first sales training and telemarketing agency over in the Philippines. We worked with a number of different businesses throughout the course of the country, ultimately training their their internal sales teams up. And it worked very, very well for about two years. And then the rest of the market kind of cottoned onto it and it became very, very, very competitive. And ultimately it got to the point where 
people couldn't afford my my fees. The the local the local companies doing exactly the same thing were ultimately undercutting me so badly I was losing business left and right. And unfortunately in the Philippines, it's kind of not what you know, it's who you know. And so I had to pivot. And that's where the call center began in 2008. And yeah, I mean, that that's now grown into the big one. You know, that's the big business. And that's kind of that solid B2B offering in the group of companies, which now is still going 12 years later. We've actually had our best year ever this year, which is great. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. So how many employees do you have there in the call center now? So that call center currently we're at about 330 people. And then we also have Virtual Staff Finder, which is our VA recruiting okay. company, which has about another 25 people or so. And then with Youpreneur, I mean, it's funny, you know, Youpreneur is the one I spend the most time on, but it fundamentally actually doesn't make me as much money, not too far off as the others, but it's where I spend the most of my time. And we've only got a team of like six people there. So it just goes to show you where the passion is now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Yes. I love it. And so you created now, let me know if I'm if I'm remembering this correctly. You created mm. virtual staff finder as a way, another way to solve a problem that you were having and yes. needing to kind of remove yourself from the business and and not be doing as much. Is that correct. is that correct? Okay. That is correct. Can you Absolutely. can you share a little bit about how how that came about and what happened? Yeah. So late 2009, I burned out, right? Like so many entrepreneurs do. And I had to take some time out and kind of figure out what was important to me. And coming back, going into 2010 onwards, it was clear I was going to have to ultimately remove myself from the businesses. And throughout the course of that year, I started podcasting and I started blogging. And by the end of 2010, I developed this following. It wasn't a huge following. It was only sort of 5,000 people on my email list. You know, in, in the grand scheme of things, it was a very modest following for a year's worth of content creation. But man, these people loved it. I mean, everything I put out, they absolutely devoured. They retweeted everything. They commented on everything. They shared everything. It was insane, Monica. Like it was absolutely insane. Before I knew what was going on, I was getting invited to speak in Vegas and Los Angeles and Singapore and all these other places around the world, which I obviously jumped on. But it was actually August of 2010. I wrote a blog post about, I think it was like, you know, 10 things you can outsource to your VA or something totally boring, not thinking it would really do a whole lot, but maybe serve as a bit of a, uh, you know, a cerebral springboard for people to kind of come up with some ideas on what they could ultimately be delegating to their virtual assistants. And there was a comment in, in the comment section. This shows you how, how long ago it was. Yes, we had comments on our blog, <laughs> right? That was the thing back in those days. In fact, actually, it was the only thing, right? Like you wanted more comments right. on your blog posts, right? So basically, there was a, there was a comment and I'll never forget the guy's name is Michael. He had Johnny Bravo, the cartoon character, of his little avatar photo. And he basically said, and I'm paraphrasing here a little bit, but he basically said something to the effect of, if only there was a service that was run by somebody that I genuinely actually trusted and that could help me find a VA in the Philippines, I'd spend money on that without even thinking about it. And it was like alarm bells went off, <laughs> you know, in our office. And two weeks later, we opened the doors to Virtual Staff Finder. That was 10 years ago. We've just celebrated our eighth 
8,000th VA hired through the company in 10 years. So 8,000 people have found jobs via VSF in the last decade. It's great. I love that. And so you're, I mean, you're helping businesses all around the world flourish because they're helping, you know, take these things off of their plates. And so when it comes to matching, so you're like a matchmaking service, right? Pretty much. Yeah. It's it's like match match.com for VAs and busy <laughs> entrepreneurs. <laughs> so, so how, what is your process like for helping people find the right VAs for them? Yeah. I mean, obviously there's a lot of proprietary stuff that goes on inside of the office, which I would never talk about on a podcast, but I can tell you as a, as a, a an overall kind of look at how it works, you sign up for the service you go ahead and complete your job description document, which ultimately allows us to kind of figure out exactly what it is you want your VA to do. We actually work very closely with our customers on that document. Like sometimes we can spend a week on it if need be going back and forth because honestly, it's everything. If you get that wrong at the beginning of the process, you're done. It's not going to work out. So we spend a lot of time on that. And then we get into the sourcing side of things. So we've got thousands of VAs on our books, obviously, that are looking for jobs at any one time. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a plethora of different roles. If they're video editors, podcast editors, general VAs, bookkeeping, graphics, you know, you name it. Although 80% of the people that we get hired are what you would class as a general virtual assistant, right? So somebody to kind of help you day to day. But once that sourcing period is over, we then, you know, let's say we've got, you know, 10 people that we think are going to be good for a role. We'll put them through some tests. All those test results are given to our customers so they can see exactly what they've done and what they've said. And then we set up interviews with three of the top contenders out of the group, you know, the pool that we've created. Our clients then go ahead and interview those three people, they hire the one they like the most and they get to work. And that's where our job is effectively done and over. I love that because I've I've gone through the hiring process so many times and it's certainly so time consuming to, you know, yes. to open up and, and announce all the places that you're hiring and then put it out and then get all these applications and you have to vet through, you know, which are the ones that seem high quality on paper and then move forward to the to the interview process. So do you have any tips for helping us find as we're hiring and growing our teams? How do we kind of determine who is looking good on paper and interviewing well versus who is actually going to be a great fit for the role? Honestly, there's no difference between hiring somebody virtually, aka they're not going to come into the office every day, than there is hiring somebody to do exactly that. A lot of people think that because you're hiring somebody remote that there's this new set of rules that you need to follow. Actually, no. There isn't. You're just overcomplicating it if you're thinking like that. So, you know, all the things that you would usually ask on an interview face to face, you do it virtually, right? All the qualities that you'd usually want in somebody to come into your office facility every day, you still want all those qualities in your remote staff as well, your VAs as well. But I will say, like, there's three things that really, really count more than anything else for me personally. First up, it's skill set right? And this is where the paper comes into play. Like, do they actually have the experience in the role for which I'm hiring for? If they don't, that's the end of the road for that applicant. Why would I push them through? It's just going to end in tears, right? So that's the first thing, skill set. The second thing is mindset. So, and this is where the interview comes into play. You've got to ask them, the one thing I always ask, 
all of our candidates, and I don't do a lot of hiring anymore now. It's mostly my management team that do it, but they asked this question because they were told by me to do so. And that is, what do you know about Chris and his businesses? Or what do you know about Monica's business? Or what do you know about my agency? Let me know. Because here's the thing. If they've not spent the time prior to the interview to actually Google you and find out more about what it is you do, how you do it, who you do it for, and what you know the driving factor is behind everything that you're doing for your clients, then they probably don't deserve the job either, right? Right. So skill set, mindset, and then honestly, personality. I'm a pretty fun-loving guy. I'm also pretty brash, pretty in your face. I'll tell you how I feel. What you see is what you get kind of mentality, right? All of the people that work for me are like that as well. So I need to know by talking to people the type of personality that they have. So you can get personal on that interview. Don't worry about getting personal. Tell me a little bit more about your family life. How many brothers do you have? How many sisters do you have? You know, I'm not talking like seriously personal stuff about preferences and things like that. But I mean, showing some level of interest will allow those applicants then to open up and tell you a little bit more Mm. about what they're all about. And I can't tell you how many times we've saved money for ourselves as well as our clients by asking very simple questions like that, because you get negative responses and that has to be taken into consideration. Because if you don't get positive responses to those types of questions, then you, you, and you let them through and they end up working with you. I mean, it's just dumb. There's no other word to describe it. It's just silly. It's stupid to do that. So if you want your VAs to do well for you, you've got to make sure they've got the skill set and the experience. You've got to make sure they've got the right mindset towards building a career with you and your business. And you've got to make sure that they've got the right personality to fit in with the team. And I don't care if you've got one person on your team or a thousand people, it's a culture. It's a company culture. It is what it is. And that nine times out of 10 will come down to the leader of that business. For us, it's me, obviously. And then really the last thing is making sure that you onboard them in the right way. Because even if they do have the skill set and the mindset and the personality traits that make them a good hire, they've never worked for you before, ever. And so if you don't bring them on board properly, just because they can do something, so their resume says, they've never done that something for you. You need to show them how to do that something, regardless of how simple it is, so that they don't make mistakes. And that's where so many people just, they skip it. They skip the training, they skip the onboarding, and and then they start making horrific assumptions that this person is going to do well for them when you haven't really given them the opportunity to learn what you actually need them to do. Right. And that's something that I learned from you. That was a big takeaway when I read Virtual Freedom. So if you want more of Chris's hiring tips and all of the things about how to train and get people up and running onboarded to your business, I would definitely recommend Virtual Freedom. It is like the great encyclopedia of like how to go from searching to hiring to onboarding your virtual staff. So I highly recommend that book. So when did the idea for Youpreneur come about? Mm, so that was uh, Pat, Pat Flynn and I. There's, there's a very long, drawn out, quite hilarious story that I won't bother telling you about now. But I, I, I will say in a nutshell that it ended on July 4th. And I believe it was 
2000, I'm going to try and get the date right here. I think it was 2014, July 4. I was at his house with my fat, with my wife, our kids were all playing. We just had a water balloon fight and we were, we grabbed a coffee and went into his home office and we, we were chatting. And the funny thing is like a lot of people, and you know that Pat and I are good friends as well. I know obviously he's worked with you before in the past as a coach. So everybody knows that Pat and I have a close relationship, but what they don't know is that we very rarely talk about business. Very, very rarely. I'd say 20% of our conversations are business related. The rest of the time, it's about families. It's about legacy. It's about the work that we're doing, but not necessarily the ins and outs and the strategies of that work. And not to mention, you know, I'm, I'm a few years older than him. So, you know, he, he'll come to me for advice on certain bits and pieces in regards to growing businesses and things like that. But I'll also then equally go to him and say, how do I use this microphone? <laughs> <laughs> because I'm a complete old person when it comes to like tech and so he actually set up my Rodecaster Pro when he was in my house in England last year like it was in the box for about a month and then he turned up and said oh dude we gotta get it out we gotta set it up like, I totally right. so, believe that he did it like 10 minutes it was embarrassing <laughs> quite frankly it was embarrassing so he asked me at this coffee meeting and basically said words to the effect of who do you like who do you enjoy working with the most business-wise? Like, who are the people that fire you up? And yeah, bear in mind, it's like six years ago now. And after about 20 minutes or so of kind of brainstorming and mind mapping a little bit, it came down to working with people that basically were creating and growing and scaling businesses based around their expertise and their personality. So it was people like authors and coaches and speakers and content creators and YouTubers and all that kind of stuff, basically. And I've been doing a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching for a long time. Almost all of it was based around scaling strategies for businesses, growing teams and that sort of type of thing. And in the process of doing that, as you will know yourself as somebody who works with clients, you know, you learn about their businesses and in effect, almost the master becomes the student, right? To a certain right. degree. Right. And you've got this whole Mr. Miyagi Danielson thing going on. And it's like, before you know what's happening, as much as we don't want to admit it, like we've actually become friends with these clients and then with us as a provider. And, you know, that for me is gold. Like I want that to happen every single time I work with somebody. It doesn't, but I go into it with the mindset of, of wanting that to happen. And so it became really clear that these were the types of people that I was really fired up about helping. And then the name... Youpreneur, I just spat it out. You know, like you're building the business around you. It's not reliant on you, but it's on you. Like it's your experience and you're the entrepreneur, youpreneur. And it was kind of, you know, a light bulb moment went off over both of our heads. And he was like, dude, check the domain name. Because <laughs> he's from California. He calls everybody dude, even girls, by the way, dude, check the domain name, which I did. And it was gone. Somebody was sitting on it. I snapped up all of the social media profiles, but I couldn't get the domain name, not immediately. And after about six months of detective work, I eventually found the guy who owned the domain via LinkedIn of all bloody places. And I offered him some money for it. He said, yes. And that was when Upano was officially kind of born, you know? I love that. So before that, uh, leading up to that conversation, were you kind of at this place where... 
your businesses were running well and you were looking for the next thing or did that just kind of that conversation occur organically? I definitely was looking for the next thing. Virtual freedom had come out and done very, very well. But if I'm to be honest, at that point anyway, I was kind of done talking about VAs, been doing it consistently for almost five years. And if I, you know, if I got asked, how much do you charge, how much do you pay your VA again? I was liable to (laughs) punch somebody, you know what I mean? So it was, yes, I was ready for the next thing. And I am a true serial entrepreneur. There have been a couple of businesses that I've not mentioned that I've started that have flopped, quite frankly, over the last 10, 15 years as well. But, you know, I look at those flops as learning opportunities as well. And I know exactly what I did wrong on both those occasions. And so, you know, I'm a, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I love building businesses, but I don't like running them. I like building them. I like growing them. I like scaling them, but I don't like running them. And that's where I think the superpower has been delegation, you know, bringing in the right people to help run the business so that I can kind of focus working on it instead of being trapped on the inside. And that's what I love doing more than anything else. I will say though, now my focus is shifting a little bit. Maybe I'm just getting a little old. I don't know, (laughs) but I'm now focusing more on investing and advising rather than starting new businesses. So I'm an investor and advisor on four different businesses as well. All they need from me is an hour a month each. And, you know, I get my my share in the business, I get dividend payouts, et cetera, et cetera. And so that is, I think, kind of where I'm going in terms of being able to scratch that serial entrepreneur itch and being involved with lots of different businesses that fire me up, but not necessarily owning them outright like I do my other three. So I'm curious since you spend a lot of time you're on youpreneur and then your businesses your other businesses are kind of running themselves what does your schedule look like how much time are you focused on being in the business versus working on your business mm-hmm. and then how do you manage those companies by stay you know how do you stay in the know without being in meetings all day every day and how how do you have that streamlined Yeah. Well, I mean, management is key, right? So we have within the call center, we have a management team of like 15 people, 16 people at any one time. And they obviously manage a number of different people underneath them and them under them and so on and so on. With that business, with the larger business, I I, I do one hour a month. And actually a lot of the time that one hour call is done in in 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And that's just with with my general manager, my GM, that's it. What I'm really all about, like my number one rule is that I should only be working on the stuff that only I can do. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. That's my underlining 100% guiding light day to day, Monday through to Thursday. I don't work Fridays. I haven't for six years now. I have a three-day weekend. So Monday to Thursday, usually around about 10 in the morning, I'll start work. Prior to that, you know, I, I got kids, right? So it's school runs, it's packed lunches, it's, you know, 20 minutes on, on, on the cross trainer, 10, 15 minute hit workout. And then I get to work with a cup of coffee at 10 a.m. That's it. And I work right the way through to usually four, sometimes five o'clock, Monday through to Thursday. And that's it. And I'm only working on tasks that only I can do. So that usually will fall into a few different categories. Number one, coaching, right? Number two, creating content. So podcasting, video, whatever. 
Number three, kind of bigger picture stuff, right? So looking at what, what funnels are working within our businesses, which ones aren't, developing new product ideas, new service ideas, that sort of type of thing. And then number four is the Upreneur Summit. That deserves a category all on its own. It's our big annual conference that we run in London each year. Obviously, we're not doing it this year for obvious reasons, um, but I'll be back on that horse going into 2021. And really, that's what I do. And, and, and that's what I do day to day. I don't sit in front of my inbox. I do maybe half an hour in my inbox every day. I don't spend all day on social media. Probably the one channel that I look at more than anything else is Instagram. If you hit me up on the DMs in Instagram, you're 99% of the time you'll get me because I enjoy the platform. At this point, they're making it kind of funky though recently. So I don't know how I feel about it right now, but <laughs> that's where I kind of hang out social wise, right? So if anybody's listening at Chris Ducker, give me a follow if you fancy it. Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, all managed by the team. And that's it. That's what I work on. It, it's it's got to be stuff that only I can do. Otherwise, I'm not maximizing my end of the bargain as the leader within the business. Do you follow like a specific schedule where you have like days focused on each topic or does it kind of change based on, you know, the, the season and, and what the biggest projects are? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're pretty regimented. I mean, the kind of, the, the big rule is that up until 12 midday UK time, nothing can be put on my schedule by my mm. assistant. So it's only me, my wife, my assistant that has access to my schedule. No one else can touch it within the company. And so if anybody wants to speak with me, they got to go to my EA. She'll find them space in the schedule. If anybody wants to interview me, they got to go to the EA, right? So on and so on and so on. And so up until noon, that's blank time on the schedule. I'm always working, but it's blank. And 99% of the time, that's creative headspace time. So I will be creating in some variety, whether it's planning podcast content or putting together slides for a training that I'm going to be giving to our coaching clients or, you know, whatever it is, right? Like it's super creative mode. And I like to get the creative stuff done first because I find that once I start getting into more kind of business related stuff, like numbers and money and admin and messages and all that sort of stuff, that's where my creative part of my brain switches off. And you can't switch task between the two. I don't think that's possible. Multitasking is a myth. I'll argue that one until the cows come home, literally. I don't think we're built as humans to switch task all the time. And so I like to kind of focus on one thing to completion and move on to the next thing. So mornings are usually creative. Afternoon is more everything else business-wise, right? Everything you can think of, accounts and, and you know, build out of anything kind of tech funnel-wise, you know, anything like that, really. But other than really kind of like taking one or two days a month to actually batch content where there's nothing on the schedule for the whole day, it's pretty flexible, to be honest with you now. Yeah, but yeah, one, one or two days a month, it's kind of like, this is podcast day, this is video day, and we kind of leave it at that. I love it. Yeah, that's that's really helpful because I'm I've been working on kind of streamlining my own schedule and, you know, breaking out blocks of time for me to, you know, focus on podcasts or other content that I need to produce and, you know, what days do I have my meetings on and try and clear up days so I only have meetings on certain days. So I'm trying to mm -hmm. 
get that down. So it's always great to learn from, you know, especially from somebody who's got so much going on, but still has that time and flexibility. And I love the Monday through Thursday schedule. And because you've got a family, you've got other things that, that sure. you want to be spending your time on. So well, the, the, the no work Friday rule came about as part of me wanting to spend more quality time with my wife, Urs, who I believe you've, you've met even yes, in just yes. a couple of times, right? So she's my rock. And I don't, I don't discount that statement in any way whatsoever. I am everything I am today because of that woman, period. The father, the husband, the entrepreneur, the leader, the employer, everything. And so when she says to me, hey, like we're doing great and everything, but I'm not seeing enough of you during the week. Can we change that? And we come up with that plan. That plan's done. Like it's, it's etched in stone. It ain't changing. But what we do on that Friday has changed a lot over the years. Like at first it might be a yoga session together and then a movie. Now that we're back here in the UK, it could be a drive into the countryside and, you know, afternoon tea somewhere in an old windmill or something like that. So the activities have changed but the time on the schedule have remained there. Now, do I break the rule every now and then? Yes, of course. Every now and then you've got to. Maybe there's a launch that you got planning or you've got to travel for a work engagement, a speaking gig, or maybe you're holding a live event or something like that. But I'd say 95% of the, the Fridays throughout the course year are exclusively just for us, plain and simple. I love that. That is, oh gosh, I love that so much. <laughs> so, well, it really reflects your, you know, your priorities you've got, and you've got the systems in place in order to do that. So I think, I think that's a huge win. But that's so the congratulations word. on that. Thank you, Monica. You've just pulled out the most important word in business, priorities. That's it. If it doesn't get scheduled, it won't get done. Plain and simple. So what are your priorities? Whatever they are, if it's working out, put it on the schedule. Mm -hmm. Spending 20 minutes on Instagram, put it on the schedule. Now, you don't have to do this forever, but that repetition obviously creates habits in your life. So what are your priorities? If your priorities are creating video content for the next six months of your business in the next month, so you don't even have to think about it for the next six months, that's your priority. Get in front of the camera and start recording right? If your priority is spending more time with your family, then that needs to go on the schedule at first as well. If it doesn't get scheduled, it doesn't get done. And it always comes down to priorities, always. Absolutely. Wonderful. So here we are at the end of 2020, looking ahead mm -hmm. to 2021. I'm curious, you've kind of, you know, talked through us about your schedule and, and how you manage all your various companies and everything you've got going on. How do you approach planning for the new year or goal setting? Maybe it doesn't have to be, you know, if you're listening to this podcast in the future and, you know, it's, it's March or something, how do you, how do you approach goal setting and, and planning for, for the next maybe segment of your business? Mm. Well, it comes down to three big things for me. And this is obviously like an overarching planning activity, right? It was interesting because prior to the inaugural Upana Summit Conference, which took place in November of 2017, I would have pretty much had my entire year mapped out by that time each year. But obviously, when you're planning an event for 400 people at Her Majesty's Convention Center in London, 
in November, that you kind of have to spend some time in the run up to that. You know what I mean? Right. And so that's changed. And so now what I actually do is I, I, I start working on my plans right now in December. And that will usually go right the way through to January. So I'll spend almost two months going back and forth with the team planning on what we're going to do in the following 12 months. So we've only shifted it by a month or so in terms of how we take the action on it, but it has shifted. And I think the flexibility is important to, to, to point out because you will have to pivot how you do certain things in business. That's a key part of, of, of being successful is being open to change. You know, my dad used to say death, taxes, and change. Those three things are going to come for you. Some, maybe a little bit more often than others, but they're all coming for you. And so I think the ability to be able to adapt to change and pivot and be flexible is very, very important. And so we've had to change that over the last four or five years of, of doing the event. And these three things have not changed though, right? Number one, what's the money number? And that money number actually has two money numbers attached to it. It's number one, revenue, and number two, profit. Hmm. They're the two numbers I, as a, as a business owner, look at over and over and over again every single day. The numbers never lie. Let me repeat that. The numbers never lie. And they are a direct reflection on how you are running your business. Plain and simple, baby. That is it. So how much money do you want to make? And what's your profit target for the year? Because you see so many people online, oh, I'm a seven-figure business. What they're not telling you is that they might have right. made a million dollars in revenue, but they haven't spent 800 grand in Facebook ads to get it. Right. That's a bad business model. Like that's a, that, that is a bad business model. That has not got longevity attached to it at all. Because what happens if Facebook decides to, like it will ever happen, but I don't know, remove their ad platform for even a period of time? Or what happens if they decide, you know what, we're going to quadruple ad spend costs? Right. Your, your business is gone overnight, right? So number one, what's the money number? What are the two money numbers? Revenue targets and profit targets. The reason why the profit targets are there is because it forces you to look at your costs. And if you're not looking at that P&L, that profit and loss statement, you're not going to be a very successful business owner. So that's number one, money numbers. Number two, non-negotiables. If I want to do all these things to ultimately get and chase down those numbers, what are the things I'm not going to do? Or what are the things that I'm absolutely going to do every single weekday, month, quarter, whatever it is? What are my non-negotiables? So, you know, non-negotiables, for example, could be something along the lines of saying, well, you know, like, okay, so let me give you, I'll give you a direct example here. So within the Youpreneur Incubator, which is my coaching and mastermind program, we develop all of our goals each year based on three main principles. Number one, sales and marketing. Number two, self-development. And number three, legacy and impact. Okay. So sales and marketing, that non-negotiable could be for next year, I am absolutely 100% going to create one piece of high value, super helpful content every single week for the entire year and make sure it goes out on the same day, same time, same platform every single week. So my audience is ready and waiting for it. Non-negotiable number one. Number two, self-development. I'm going to spend 30 minutes a day of quiet time on my own uninterrupted, 100% focused on learning. Because as a leader, I must continue to learn in order to continue to lead. That's my self-development non-negotiable. 
And number three, legacy and impact. I will no longer work past 4 p.m. each day so I can spend more time with my children in the evening after they come back from school. Non-negotiable for legacy and impact. So money numbers, non-negotiables. Are you getting this so far? Yes, I've got it. This is great. (laughs) Okay, good. And then really the last thing is, it's kind of a weird one because a lot of people already have this in mind, but they kind of fail. (laughs) There's no other word to put it. They kind of fail horrifically at it. And that is what I call our delegation mindset. So like I say to you, I only work on tasks that only I can do. And I genuinely mean that. Like only I can record our podcast. Only I can coach our clients. I can't offload that to somebody else in the business, right? But if I'm messing around in Canva, trying Mm. to design an image for Instagram, that is not the best use of my time, right? So having that delegation mindset and, and working on, and as a fan of the first book, you'll know my three lists to freedom exercise, where I break down my three lists of, you know, the things I don't like doing, the things I can't do or I struggle doing, or the things I feel I shouldn't be doing. And I do that exercise every single year because just like anybody else, I'm only human and I will slip back into bad habits. And I got to check myself before Mm. I wreck myself, as they say, right? And so those are the three things I do without fail to plan my year, year in, year out. And I've done it for a long, long time. Love that. Oh, that's so good. Okay. So many things to go over (laughs) with my team. This is really great. (laughs) This is where you start doing no work at all and become perpetually lazy in your business, right? (laughs) I'm ready for it. I'm ready. (laughs) Okay. So you've mentioned, you've mentioned legacy and impact. I'd love for you to talk about how somebody can kind of get clear on what their legacy, what they want their legacy to be. I feel like a lot of us kind of think smaller then, you know, what is possible? And so what would you say to somebody who is trying to figure out what their, you know, what their legacy and their impact should be? Well, here's the thing. What seems, this is very, very subjective, right? It's like art. I'll give you an example. Just very recently, throughout the course of kind of 2020 lockdown and all the rest of it, I started sketching again. And I used to sketch a lot in my teens and in my 20s with my father, who was a very well-accomplished architect in London. And we used to go out and we do a lot of urban sketching with each other. And I got pretty good at it. But then through my late 20s and my 30s, all the way through to fundamentally, really honestly, about six months ago, I hadn't really sketched anything proper. I mean, I kind of draw with the kids and things like that. But I started sketching again. And I thought, you know, what might be kind of fun is to create an Instagram account where it's not my name on it, it's just my sketches. It's nothing to do with Chris Ducker or business. It's just, I'm going to put them up there, use some hashtags, you know, kind of network with other artists and, and kind of get some ideas and inspiration and blah, 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 blah. And it's funny because there's a couple of people in the industry who I've done sketches for based on what I've seen them post. And I've sent them the sketch as a gift. And they've come back and they're like, man, this is amazing. I had no idea you could do this. Like, you really caught the detail in this building and bop, 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 bop. Now, when I look at that sketch, I see all of the flaws. I see all the details I didn't capture or the mistakes I made, but they don't, right? It's very subjective. And I think legacy and impact is exactly the same because you say people think too small, but how do you know that? It could be small to mm. you, but to them, it could be huge. You see what I mean? 
Mm-hmm. So for me, it's a very, very personal thing. It's a very personal thing. And for me, my legacy is my children all out. I want my kids to do better than I've done. And I've done pretty good. Like my, my eldest is 25. And he actually listened to a podcast interview where I said that last year. And he called me out on it. And he was like, but dad, your shoes are huge. Like they're massively big shoes to fill. And I said to him, well, why do you want to wear small shoes? Like you have everything in your capacity to make it happen. The only difference is your priorities, your choices, your decisions, your opportunities, the way you chase them down. And he kind of shut up pretty quickly. (laughs) (laughs) So I think my legacy is my children. The impact, and this is the reason why we focus on that as part of the Youpreneur Incubator, the impact part of that goal setting each 90 days, we, we revolve every 90 days, basically, on our, our goal. Some of them, they stay the same throughout the entire year, but things change, right? Things pivot. So the impact side of things are the people that I work with. That's where I want the impact to be. So legacy is the kids. The impact mm. are the clients, the coaching clients, the people in the community, members of the community, people who I come into contact with, people that might see me on stage or read one of my books. That's the impact side of things. Yeah, that fires me up. But not as much as being a good dad, right? So (laughs) it's a very, very personal thing. That that legacy is a word that gets thrown around a lot nowadays as well. And I think it's it's a super personal thing. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't talk about what you want your legacy to be, but just bear in mind that there will be people out there saying, Oh, that's it's no big deal, you know, but it's big for you, but it could be Mm -hmm. small for somebody else, you know? Yeah. That's great. Well, this has been such a great conversation. I am so honored to have you on the podcast. Chris, where should people go to follow you, to find out what you're up to? Where should we point people to? Well, I wouldn't be much of a personal brand business coach if I didn't have chrisducker.com. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so yeah, chrisducker.com, youpreneur for anything coaching related. And then uh, obviously just at chrisducker on all the socials. I love it. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time today, Chris. This has been so great. That's been fun chatting. Thanks for having me on. I absolutely loved that interview with Chris. I took so many notes. He's really a wealth of knowledge. So I want to thank Chris once again for joining me on the podcast today and sharing all of his wisdom with us. And Chris and I would love to hear your biggest takeaways from this interview. Share those with us in the comments at monicalouis.com slash 82 or tag us on Instagram. I'm at Flourish with Monica, and he is at Chris Ducker. And remember, you can find all the links and resources that Chris and I mentioned in this episode at monicalouie.com slash the number 82. And thank you so much for joining Chris and me today. If you are ready to scale your business with Facebook ads, then check out my free Facebook ad starter kit. You can find that at monicalouie.com slash guide. The starter kit takes you through these six simple steps for creating campaigns that convert. Plus, there's an awesome checklist so you can make sure you got everything you need before you dive into the ads manager. And if you're like me, then you love a good checklist. And if you're interested in learning more about how my team and I might be able to help you with your Facebook, Instagram, or Pinterest ads, go to monicalouie.com slash WWM. We have information there about our services. As I mentioned, I'll have all the links and resources that we mentioned today in the show notes, You can find those at monicalouie.com slash 82. 
If you found this helpful, please leave a rating and review so that more people can find this podcast. It really helps the podcast get found by more people. And subscribe so that you can be notified when the next episode comes out. Brand new episodes come out every single Thursday. And next week, I've got another great episode heading your way. I've got a special guest returning to the podcast. So make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out. Please join me for next week's episode of the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast. That's all for today. Take care, stay healthy, and let's flourish.